We blaze through five verses. I was hoping to get way farther, further. Uh, so let's read those first five verses and see what God would have for us this morning. Here's what God's word says, Revelation 14, verse 1. Then I looked, and behold, a lamb standing on Mount Zion, and with him 144,000, having his father's name written on their foreheads. And I heard a voice from heaven like the voice of many waters and like the voice of loud thunder. And I heard the sound of harpists playing their harps. They sang as it were a new song before the throne, before the four living creatures and the elders. And no one could learn that song except the 144,000 who were redeemed from the earth. These are the ones who were not defiled with women, for they are virgins. These are the ones who follow the Lamb wherever he goes. These were redeemed from among men, being first fruits to God and to the Lamb. And in their mouth was found no deceit, for they are without fault before the throne of God. And just like as a little intro to this chapter, um, remember, we are pulling out of some dark chapters, um, if you remember. Well, let me give the broader context. Remember, in chapter 6, all the way through chapter 19 in the book of Revelation, we are looking at future events, really a future event known as the tribulation period or Daniel's 70th week or the day of the Lord. How long will that period last again? Seven years. Thank you for the little amen, little guy. <laughs> Seven-year period of tribulation, right? And again, in chapter 6 through 19, the church is no longer mentioned on earth at all. Well, why is that? Because I believe... Um, I believe that we will not be here, the church, the bride of Christ will not be here during that seven-year period of the tribulation. In fact, you may remember what Jesus said earlier um, in Revelation chapter 3, speaking to the church, to the church is, he said, because you have, this is chapter 3, verse 10, because you have kept my command to persevere, I also will keep you from the hour of trial which shall come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. Did you guys catch that? Jesus said, because you've, you've trusted in me, you've kept my word to keep on keeping on, to, to persevere. He said, I'm going to keep you from, not through, I'm going to keep you from that very hour of trial, that testing, that heaviness, that tribulation that will come upon the whole world. Well, what will be the means of deliverance? We're told in the next verse of Revelation 3, 11, it says, behold, I am coming quickly. Amen. Jesus is coming. He said when he comes for the rapture of the church to catch us up in the air, to take us to the father's house, he said it'll be like a thief in the night. No, no warning, no heads up at any moment. And that's why, by the way, we need to be about our father's business, not wasting time, but redeeming the time 
as the Apostle Paul said, for the days are evil. And so this tribulation period, capital T, will be so heavy, so gnarly. And, and just, again, it took, for, it took for us, many of us, it took tribulation to break us to surrender to Jesus, didn't it? It took some heavy stuff to bring us to that point of surrender to the Lord Jesus Christ, to cry out for his mercy, for his forgiveness, for his help, for, for his work in our lives. And as we've studied the book of Revelation, there's going to be a lot of people that get saved during this time period. And one of those groups of people, or some of those groups of people, will be a result of this group that we're reading about in chapter 14, verses 1 through 5. And, and again, as we're looking at chapters, those 6 through 19, we've seen a series or a chronological sequence of judgments, haven't we? It began with the seal judgments. The seventh seal gave way to the seven trumpet judgments. The seventh trumpet will give way to the seven bowl judgments. That's right. And we've seen also, as we've been studying together, that um, mixed in with these judgments, there's been like parentheses or intermissions, if you will. There's, I think there's five total where there's a pause in the, in the sequence of judgments in order for us to get more information, more insight, some of the backstory, some of what's going on um, that fill in the blanks, what's happening during the seven-year period. Um, and so we've been in the middle of one, haven't we, for a while, chapter 12 through 14, where we've been introduced um, to the dragon, the devil. Remember, he gets permanently evicted from heaven. He has no more access um, to heaven at all, and he is on a rampage. He is looking to steal, kill, destroy, and especially wipe out the Jewish people and to stop the setting up of the kingdom, of the kingdom of God that will last forever and ever. Aren't you excited for that, the millennial reign of Jesus Christ? He, but he can't stop it. It's, it's a done deal. It is coming. Revelation 19, Jesus is coming to set up his kingdom. And so um, we also were introduced to um, two instruments that the dragon, the devil, will use during the tribulation period. The Antichrist will be ruler of that last world empire and also his sidekick um, known as the, what was the other beast's name? The false, the false prophet, which make up the counterfeit trinity, if you will, at this time period. The Antichrist and the false prophet will do Satan's bidding, again, to steal, to kill, to destroy, to wipe people out, to ruin God's plan, to try to ruin God's plans. And so that brings us to chapter 14. I don't know about you, I'm glad to get out of chapter 12 and 13. <laughs> it's been dark, man. Hasn't it? And now we get this next chapter, and I, think it's, I don't think it's an accident while we have chapter 14, we're going to see these these uh, beautiful uh, pictures, these beautiful glimpses of the tail end of the tribulation um, and what God is going to do. And so we see um, here um, this sneak preview, chapter 14, verse 1. John looked, again, I, John, it's the apostle John. He looks and behold, um, behold means check it out. If you have a King James, King Jimmy version, it says, lo, check it out. Wow. What does John see? He sees a lamb, the lamb doing what? Standing on Mount Zion. And who's the lamb? Jesus, Jesus Christ is the lamb, right? Remember when John the Baptist saw Jesus coming? He said, behold, the lamb of God who 
takes away the sin of the world. Remember all those Old Testament sacrifices, all those lambs, the, the lambs without spot, the lambs without blemish that were offered up in faith to God. That all pointed forward to the one lamb who would take away sins completely, not just cover sins, but take them away and erase our sin debt. Anybody glad for that this morning? Thank you, Jesus Christ, for rescuing us, saving us. Thank you that you are the lamb. In fact, it's interesting, too, that remember in Revelation chapter 5, when John was transported to heaven, he saw Jesus, right, as a lamb with the marks of slaughter. And so even when we get to heaven, when we get to see Jesus, we're going to see those marks that were made. That's the only man-made thing that will be in heaven, by the way, is those marks of slaughter as a reminder of the price that he paid for you and for me, a reminder for all eternity of the great sacrifice he made to rescue us. And so John sees the lamb, a lamb, standing on Mount Zion. Where's Mount Zion at? Where's Mount Zion? Is that Mount Zion Baptist Church? Is that what we're talking about here? <laughs> I have a friend that goes there. Mount Zion. You guys know where Mount Zion. We, we see it throughout the scriptures. It speaks of Jerusalem um, many times in the Bible. It speaks of uh, all of Jerusalem itself because Jerusalem is on a mount. When you go there, don't think mountain, though, or when you see pictures, it's not a mountain. It's like a, like a brown hill. <laughs> It's because when you travel, it's like, oh, I can't wait to get there. Then you see it and like, okay, what's the big deal? But it is the, listen, it is the city of our great king. And it is really the epicenter of all biblical prophecy. And so as we consider that, it's that Zion is either referring to earthly uh, Zion, Jerusalem, or it's referring to heavenly Jerusalem, Mount Zion in heaven. Where do you find that, Mike? Hebrews chapter 12. I'm going to read the verses because it's a beautiful picture of us in prayer coming to the throne of grace. Aren't we called to do that in prayer? Come boldly before the throne of grace because of what Jesus did for us. I'm going to read it. Hebrews chapter 12, if you're taking notes. Hebrews chapter 12. The author of Hebrews writes, I'm going to read verse 18 because it sets the, the context here. He said, it, the contrast is where you have come and where you have not come to. So he says, for you have not come to the mountain that may be touched and that burned with fire and to blackness and darkness and tempest and the sound of a trumpet and the voice of words so that those heard it begged that the word should not be spoken to them anymore, for they could not endure what was commanded. And if so much as a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned or shot with an arrow. And so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I am exceedingly afraid and trembling. So that's when Moses uh, received the Ten Commandments. And so just a heavy scene. But he says, you didn't come to that mountain. Here's the mountain you've come to. You have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly, what does your Bible say? Heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and the church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven, to God, the judge of all, 
to the spirits of just men made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. And so reading that, it seems to me what's being communicated is that there's Jerusalem here, which is a shadow of the true Jerusalem, heavenly Jerusalem, or the Mount Zion here is a shadow of the true Mount Zion in heaven. Are you guys tracking with me still? I'm saying that because some believe that these first five verses, check this out, some believe these verses are saying this is a fast-forward picture of the millennial kingdom where Jesus is with the 144,000, and uh, that's the scene here. The problem is, as we read through the context, it says over and over again, they're before the throne, they're before the throne, they're before the... You guys see that with me? End of verse 3, what's it say? Um, they were redeemed from the earth. Uh, verse 3, they sang, as it were, a new song where? Before the throne, before the four living creatures and the elders. Um, they were redeemed from the earth. End of verse 3. And then it says also in verse 5, right at the end, um, they are without fault, where? Before the throne of God. And so I believe, this is my own opinion, you can take it or leave it. Um, it's not going to matter because we're not going to be there during this time. But we will be with them when they arrive in heaven. I believe the Lord sealed them, protected them for the duration of their ministry. And then when it was time to come home, God brought them home to be in heaven, to be with the Lamb, and to sing this beautiful song that we have no clue what the words are. But we're going to get to listen to it. Are you tracking with me still? You guys understand? Hopefully, maybe. Well, let's, let's read through. So John looks, he sees Jesus, and who's standing with him? 144,000. I guess it would be important to recognize who they are. Remember back in chapter 7, there was 144,000 um, like Apostle Paul's. They are Jews that get saved after the rapture during the tribulation period. There will be some Jewish males, some Jewish men that end up getting saved and God will use them during the tribulation period. He will seal them, and they will be protected from the plagues that, that are going to happen, the wrath that's poured out. God will use their lives in a special way during this time period. And by the way, they are 12,000 from the 12 tribes of Israel. Correct? You guys remember that? Yes. You guys still with me this morning? Yes. 12,000 from the 12 tribes of Israel. I'm bringing that up because there's no playing tricks with the Bible. There's no playing tricks with the text because every weird and deviant cult wants to attach themselves to the 144,000. We've had people come here and say, I'm one of the 44,000. 44, I'm like, okay, which tribe are you from, dude? Uh, uh, I'm from Asher. Liar, liar, pants on fire. Why? Because in 70 AD, the records were destroyed concerning all of the Jews' lineage. So you can't know what tribe you're from. Unless you're, a, unless you're from the tribe of Levi, if, unless you're from a priest or a Levite, how do you know that? Because of their, because of their names. If they have the name Kohen, Kohath, Levi, Levis, Levine, anybody know that person with the last name Levine? If you ever meet that dude Levine, the singer, you can tell him, guess what, bro? You got a calling on your life. You need to get right with God. So where was I? Okay. We're introduced, same group from chapter seven. They come to know Jesus. 
during the tribulation period after the rapture, they are a segment or a subset of those known as the tribulation saints. Those who give their lives to Jesus during the tribulation. Because there will be people from all multitudes, every tribe, tongue, and nation. And some will be as a result of their ministry to the people around the world. God will use these men in a special way. Um, They are, again, immune to the judgments and plagues. Um, But once their time of ministry is over, God calls them home. And isn't that the way it is in our lives too? Is that the way it is in our lives too? Listen, you and I are invincible until he calls us home. I hope that frees up some people this morning. That should free us up from fear. When our time is up, our time is up. The Lord knows has our days numbered. And when it's our time to go home, our ministries are done. And so it's like, if that's the case, we can minister without fear, free of fear, because God has not given us a spirit of fear or timidity, but what? But power, love, and a sound mind. And so when we go to El Salvador and minister to the MS-13 gangs, we're okay. It's going to be all right. Oh, we may get a beat down, but the Lord calls us home. The Lord calls us home. Or whether we're in India and get beat by the Hindus or whatever. Beat by the Hindus. Yeah, Hindus beat up Christians and kill them there, by the way. Some of the places we've been, pretty gnarly. Cuba, Russia, El Salvador, Honduras. And it's like, listen, our lives are in the, not only are our lives in the Lord's hands, but our times are in his hands, the psalmist said. Just like the 144,000, they ministered full on for Jesus. Can you imagine when the plague started happening and they're protected? Wow, this is awesome. Man, let's keep going. Let's put the pedal to the metal and serve as long as the Lord will have us here until he calls us all to go home. And by the way, they're in heaven, not because of the lambs that they, altered, that they offered on the altar in the rebuilt temple. They're in heaven because of the lamb, Jesus Christ. And so, what do they have on their forehead? Having his father's name, the name of the, the, the Jesus, the lamb, the father's name, our heavenly father's name, written on their forehead. So in contrast, remember last week, the people that reject Jesus Christ to follow the Antichrist, they too will get a mark, right? Their mark will be on their right hand or on their forehead. Or if you got a King James, King Jimmy Bible, it says, what does it say? In, in the forehead or in the hand. In any event, the 144,000 have God's seal, his special mark. If you're taking notes, this is not unprecedented. Ezekiel chapter 9. Ezekiel chapter 9, you may remember um, judgment was um, about to come upon uh, Jerusalem, uh, and God had marked um, those people that, that uh, they were walking with the true and the living God. They had a true and a real relationship. Everybody with that mark on their forehead, they were preserved from judgment. Those that did not have the mark on their foreheads um, were the recipients of judgment. And so it's not something new. It's something we've seen before. And can I remind us, we too are sealed as Christians. Is that a good reminder this morning? Where does it say that in the book? Where? Ephesians chapter one. Did I hear Ephesians chapter one? Oh yeah. Ephesians chapter one. In him, Jesus, you also trusted after you heard the word of truth the gospel of your salvation, 
in whom also, having believed, check this out, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. Isn't that beautiful? Yes, thank you, Lord. Yeah, sealed with the Holy Spirit, the guarantee of our arrival safely in heaven to the praise of his glory, to God's praise, right? To the work that he did. We can't say hallelujah me, it's hallelujah because of what he did. And so that denotes ownership. We belong to the Lord just like the 144,000 belong to the Lord and God took care of them for the duration of their ministry and now it's time to come home. It's possible they were martyred In any event, they pass through the veil into eternity, into heaven. I think it's a great reminder. Death is not the end, but the beginning for the child of God. The Bible says to be absent, 2 Corinthians, to be absent from the body is to be present with who? With the Lord. That means our last breath here, we take our first breath with the Lord, with him. Paul, the Apostle Paul, remember the Apostle Paul said in Philippians, for to me, I don't know about you, but for to me, to live is Christ and to die is what? Gain. It's a, I see it as a gain. It's the gain column in my life. I'll live full on, but if the Lord wants to bring me home, I'm ready. That's an amen from heaven, by the way, too. Not from the little bambino back there. That was... <laughs> and Jesus said, because I live, so you too shall live. Death has lost its sting. Death has lost its sting. The fear of death removed by Jesus, Hebrews chapter 2 tells us. And so we can live full on for him. You belong to God. Nothing can separate us from his love, not even death. Is that reason to sing and rejoice, by the way, this morning? And and that's what we see what's happening here. They've been redeemed. They've been set free, purchased by the blood of the lamb. And they are singing in heaven, rejoicing. In fact, look at verse 2. It says, John hears this voice from heaven, and it was so powerful, you could feel it. A voice so powerful. And and we we read about that. Jesus' voice is like that, Revelation chapter 1. But also, they're singing in heaven, we read in Revelation, that also has the same description. It's so powerful, you can feel it. It's so loud, it gets your attention. Have you guys ever been somewhere where the big waves were crashing? No. Uh, how about Niagara Falls? Anybody been to Niagara Falls? It's so loud you can feel it, right, when you're there? That doesn't resonate with nobody been there either. How about when you pull up to a red light and someone pulls up next to you? Boom, boom, boom. It's, what are they bumping? What's it called? The bump on the bass? It's so loud you can feel it, right? The dude can be like three cars down. It happened to me a couple days ago. That's why it's fresh. I can use this. I can redeem this. So John hears this voice, and then look at the end of verse 2. And then I heard the sound of harpists playing their harps. So John also heard what? Beautiful harps playing together. And we read about harps earlier, didn't we? Chapter 5 in heaven. We're going we're to we're know how to play harp. We're going to be playing harps. And some people hear that and say, oh, really? I, that's a, what a bummer, man. 
Like, because you see pictures, right? People have that, that picture in their mind that we're going to be like big chubby babies, <laughs> strumming, right? Just like elevator music. Is that what it's like? What is it called? Just. <sighs> I don't think it's going to be boring or lame when we get there. In fact, um, does music ever stir you? Yes. Like some of the songs this morning, my heart was so stirred couple we haven't sang in a while and was like oh man I'm able to communicate to the Lord what I, I can't really put into words but this song I'm I'm able to say something to the Lord and I look at this the music in heaven is going to blow away every previous experience we've ever had with music right. in fact it's so powerful so stirring I don't think there'll be any remembrance of the former things at all and that includes music. I think it's going, to be ama- it's going to be so amazing. There's no taint. There's no self involved. It is going to be pure and awesome. It's going to be loud. I like what it says. If you've got a King James, it says, the harpists were harping on their harps. <laughs> Isn't that great? It sounds like, what is it, Dr. Seuss? Is that the, uh, oh, oh, am I going to get canceled because of that? <laughs> Listen, I have already been canceled. I, it's no longer I that live, but Christ who lives in me. Amen. Dead. Amen. Notice verse 3. They sang a new song. They sang, as it were, a new song. Where? Before the throne. The 144,000 are singing a brand new song right there before the throne, right before the Father. And there's uh, nine times in the Bible where we read about a new song, and I'm going to read a few of them real quick. Psalm, uh, book of Psalms, verse 33. Psalm 33. They're so good. I got to read these because they're so good. Such great reminders. Uh, Psalm 33. It says in verse 3 Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully with a shout of joy. For the word of the Lord is right, and all his works, all his work is done in truth. Isn't that reason to sing a new song? Aren't you glad for his word and his work in your life? It says shout, so it's okay to shout during worship. Lift up our voices. All right, Psalm 40. If you're taking notes, I'm going to read it. Psalm 40. This is David writing here. After God delivered him from a gnarly trial, a super heavy time in his life, difficulty, hardship. Has God ever done that in your life? Yes. Has God ever brought you through a hard, difficult situation? Yes. Hard time? Listen to how David responds. After getting his feet put upon a rock and established his steps, he has put a new song in my mouth. Praise to our God. Many will see it and fear and will trust in the Lord. God did this awesome work getting me through this trial, through this storm. And now he's put a new song in my heart, in my life, and I'm singing it. Praise God. And guess what? Other people's lives are getting touched by it. New song. Uh, Psalm 96. Psalm 96, verse 1. Psalm 96, verse 1. Oh, sing to the Lord 
a new song. Sing to the Lord, all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless his name. Proclaim the good news of his salvation from day to day. Anybody glad to be saved in this place? Reason to sing a new song. Psalm 98, verse 1. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Why? Give me one good reason, man. For he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have gained him the victory. Can I ask you a question? Has God done marvelous things in your life? Yes. That's reason to sing a new song this morning. Psalm 144. Are you going to read through all of them, Pastor? Most of them. Because you hear what's going on upstairs? Psalm 144, verse 9, I will sing a new song to you, O God. Isn't that to, to him? Not so everybody else can hear to you. On a harp of ten strings, I will sing praises to you. Psalm 149. Praise the Lord. Sing to the Lord a new song and his praise in the assembly of saints. You guys catch that? We're to praise the Lord together. Sing a new song to the Lord together. If you're taking notes, I'm not going to read the last one. Isaiah 42, verse 10 is the other spot, and Revelation 5, 9, which I will read a little bit later on. So the 144,000, let's get back to Revelation 14. They're singing this new song right before the throne, before the, before who else? What does it say? The living creatures, those, those funky-looking angelic beings, and the elders before the church also. And notice this is a special song because nobody else could learn this one except for the 144,000. This song is unique to this group alone, and no one can take their song and what? Turn it into a worship song today. Hey, let's turn this one into a, into a song. And, and God gives this song to them alone to sing, and they were redeemed. What does it say? They were redeemed from where? From the earth, and then later in verse four, from uh, from among men also. What does redeemed mean? To be purchased, to be bought. Um, literally, it means to go to the marketplace and buy and make your own private property. Isn't that cool to think about that? Because we've been redeemed too, haven't we? with the precious blood of Jesus Christ, 1 Peter chapter 1. And isn't that what Jesus did? Didn't he come here to give his life a ransom for many to pay the purchase price for you and for me? Jesus actually alluded to that. And if you're taking notes, Matthew chapter 13, I'm going to read it, that imagery of him purchasing and buying that which is precious to him. Matthew 13, verse 44, And the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and hid, and for joy over it he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. It was Jesus who came and found us, correct? Did Jesus find us? Who was lost? We were lost. He wasn't lost. Oh, I was looking really hard. I found Jesus. No, I was lost, drowning in my sins. And it was the Lord who found. Isn't that what we sing? Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a really good person, really wonderful, getting gooder and gooder. A wretch like me, I once was 
but now I'm found. And so Jesus sharing these parables, communicating that he's the one that came. He's the one that left the glory of heaven, the adulation, the praises of angels to come here to this cesspool, to, to, to God became a man, took upon himself human flesh. He added humanity to his deity and came here and willingly laid down his life for you and for me to purchase us. In fact, Jesus said, and the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls who, when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. It speaks corporately of us and individually also. He purchased you and me. The Bible tells us, the Apostle Paul said, you've been bought at a price. It's the Lord Jesus, his precious blood that has redeemed us. He came and rescued us just like the 144,000. And so why do we need to be redeemed? Why do we need to be purchased in order to be set free? Thank you. We were slaves to sin. He set us free from the penalty of sin. The wages of sin is what? Is death. And Jesus set us free from the power of sin. Jesus said, you commit sin, he who commits sin is a slave to sin. But if the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. He's set us free from the penalty of sin, the power of sin, from guilt, condemnation, from hell, from damnation, all because of Jesus and what he did for you and for me. There's only one way to be redeemed, not one of many ways, only Jesus. It's through his precious blood. And being redeemed, being purchased is cause for rejoicing, isn't it? Well, look what's happening here. We see music, we see a beautiful new song, and I would say music seems to be a big deal to God. It's, it's important to him, isn't it? Have you guys been singing any new songs to the Lord lately? Listen, singing to the Lord, by the way, is evidence of being filled with the Holy Spirit. Correct? Isn't that what the book says? Ephesians 5, 18, don't be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, which is a waste, but be what? Continually filled with the Spirit, giving thanks for, just on Thanksgiving Day, giving thanks for every, all things, singing and making melody in your hearts to the Lord, it says. So can I ask you this morning, I love you, is the Lord still hearing the melody in your heart? Is he hearing the melody? If not, then guess what? We come, to, we come to God's divine gas station and say, fill her up, Lord. I need to be filled. Because why? We run out, don't we? We leak. Or, or maybe you've never even asked to be baptized with the Holy Spirit, to be filled. Maybe you never even knew that existed as a Christian. That you can be filled. And isn't, isn't it cool that God's into refills too? Free of charge. So it's like you fathers being evil know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your heavenly father give the spirit to those who ask? So I come to him and say, Lord, I'm sorry. You have not been hearing the melody in my heart. It's been nothing but the blues. Poor Mimi's. (laughs) With my dog howling along with me. (laughs) 
God, would you fill me up today? Dad, would you fill me? I want you to hear the melody in my heart when I'm at work, when I'm caught 290 in traffic and get cut off. Praise the Lord. Yeah, great move, dude. That was awesome. Thank you. You must be going to the hospital. I pray everything's okay. But that's what happened. Doesn't that happen? You're not the same person after that prayer as you were before. Because you're under his influence and he's hearing the melody in your heart now. You're sick. Are you telling me life was like a musical pastor? Yes. Because we're to be continually filled with the Spirit. And so being redeemed should cause us to say, Lord, thank you. Thank you for what you've done. Thank you for redeeming me, setting me free. You did what I could never do. I'm a mess, Lord. Thank you that I'm under construction. You're not done with me yet. And so what's cool here about this is, is that this is a personal song. This new song for the 144,000 is a personal song just between them and Jesus. It's a special song for them and him. And it is a song of their experience, of what they went through, a shared experience. It's the tribulation saints that went through it together and that they saw God's hand upon their lives and they saw his protection. They saw the work of his spirit in and through them, seeing people get saved and they are excited. They have an experience with the Lord that you and I don't. But guess what? We have a song that only we can sing too. You guys remember back in Revelation 5? The angelic beings have a song only they can sing. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and who is to come. But we have a song, too, that only we can sing, Revelation 5. The church, when we see Jesus take the scroll from the Father. You guys know this song? Do you guys know this song? Hopefully we do. Hopefully we will know this song by the time we get to heaven. So when when this happens, when Jesus takes the scroll from the Father... We'll know that'll be the cue to sing this song, right? You don't want to be looking around like a bunch of bumpkins. What? What do we do next? What's next? And then they ask you, where'd you go to church? Don't tell them here. Tell them Second Baptist or somewhere, somewhere else. Just kidding. Just a joke. Just don't be sending me letters on that. They sang, look at verse nine. And they sang a new song. There's only one group of people that can sing this song. And they sang a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation and have made us kings and priests to our God and we shall reign on the earth. Isn't that beautiful, gang? So that's a song, that's our song. And so for us as the church, as the bride of Christ, we get to what? We get have the joy of hearing this song that they're singing, seeing them sing, listen to them sing. It's one for us just to hear. Because it, for, in order to learn that song, you have to go through the tribulation and uh, see that supernatural God in your, in your life. And also to be a, a Jewish Christian, by the way, from one of the 12 tribes. And so look at verse 4. We learn something about their character and about them. These are the ones who were not defiled with women, for they are virgins. And so the 144,000 will be male virgins. They are unmarried. Listen, they're not chauvinists. They're celibates. Does that make sense? 
They're, in other words, they opt for celibacy at this time, for, for singleness, if you will. And not just that, they, never have, they will never have sexual intimacy, is the idea. And so I look at that, and remember the Apostle Paul writing to the Corinthians? He spoke about his condition. Either he was widowed, or his wife perhaps left him, maybe, we don't know, or he was, in any event, he was single at that time when he wrote 1 Corinthians because he exhorted those singles in the church that have the gift of singleness to remain in that condition to be able to serve the Lord and not be distracted by having a, a wife and a family is the idea. By the way, don't be freaking out if you're saying, oh no, I want to be married. I hope I don't have the gift of singleness. <laughs> if you want to be married, then you don't have the gift of singleness. Just don't go beating the bushes trying to find a spouse. We're praying for you that you would fall asleep just like Adam and God would bring that perfect person to you. Trust him. Jesus spoke about this. Remember when Jesus was talking about eunuchs? You guys remember that? Anybody remember that? Matthew 19. It was in the context of marriage. Jesus was trying to get tripped up by the Pharisees. And he said, some are born eunuchs, right? Some are born with with the gift of singleness, of celibacy. They are going to stay single their whole lives, serving the Lord. Some are made eunuchs by others. In other other words, surgically altered and no longer reproductive. That was done in ancient times, especially with kings and kingdoms, where they would take slaves and surgically, uh, surgically alter the young men to mellow them out to get rid of the testosterone, right? So they'd be fully compliant is the idea. And so some, though, Jesus said, make themselves eunuchs for the kingdom. In other words, they choose, they opt, again, to fully devote themselves to serving the Lord without distraction. And so um, that's possibly the case here with these guys. In any event, we learn something else about their character. Um, They kept themselves sexually pure, fornication-free. You guys see that? They kept themselves pure, fornication-free. And listen, I'm bringing that up because um, they are keeping themselves pure in a time when idolatry and sexual immorality is fully rampant. It's, it's no restraint whatsoever at this time on planet Earth. And by the way, sexual purity is God's will for our lives as Christians. Y'all, y'all with me still? You guys still hang up? You guys okay with me here? Okay. Amen. Here's what the book says. What's God's will for my life, Mike? Tell me. Give me some insight, man. First Thessalonians 4. This is for a church that's looking for the rapture. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor not in passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God or the heathen or the unbelievers who don't know God, that no one should take advantage of and defraud his brother in this matter because the Lord is the avenger of all such as we also forewarned you and testified for God did not call us to uncleanness but in holiness. Therefore, he who rejects this does not reject man but God who has also given us his Holy Spirit. Did you guys catch that? God's will for us is what? Is sexual purity. To abstain from sexual immorality. 
And I shared first service, I've done a lot of premarital counseling, and one of the first questions I ask couples, you know what it is? Are you living together or separate? And guess what? A number of, a number of them say what? We're living together. And I say, do you think God's good with that? How does God feel? Not good. Correct? Well, we're sleeping in different parts of the house. Uh, come on, don't, don't, don't try to slip one past me, man. Like, I, I'm, I got two brain cells left, but you know, I got the Holy Spirit, and I see right through that. But the word, listen, and, it, and, it's, and it, sexual immorality is rampant. It is an epidemic in the church. Those claiming to follow Jesus and... Um, having sex outside of marriage, um, adultery, pornea, the word uh, sexual immorality is pornea in the Greek, pornography, being involved in that. And listen, none of that stuff will satisfy you. Amen. Only Jesus is the one that will satisfy. And he's the one, he, he, Paul mentioned there that he's given us the Holy Spirit to help us in this area. If we struggle in this area, Listen, we repent today and we ask for the help, the helper. Jesus said the Holy Spirit is our, not only our comforter, but our helper. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Are you with me this morning? Yes. It's God's will that you and I would be set apart, just like the 144,000, in our, not only in our purity, but our very lives. Look at the next part of the verse. This is awesome. These are the ones who follow the Lamb whenever it's convenient. Is that what it says? No. These are the ones who follow the lamb when it's only easy. Who's the lamb again? Jesus. Jesus. Isn't that a beautiful statement about their lives? Yeah. They follow Jesus wherever he goes. Can I just encourage us? I, I, listen, I pray that this week, just meditating on that phrase. That's where I want to be. I want to follow Jesus wherever he goes. That means staying close to him, whether it's through a storm, whether it's through difficulty, hardship, persecution. I want to follow. I'm not, I don't want to bail out. Pray for me. Guys, I'm praying for you guys. We need to follow Jesus wherever he goes. And I've shared from this pulpit for 20 plus years, stay close to Jesus. Stay close to Jesus. There goes Pastor Mike again. One string guitar. Twang, stay close to Jesus. Twang, stay close to Jesus. I'm going to keep twanging that one string. Because listen, it is the safest place, most secure place, most wonderful place, is staying close to Jesus, following him wherever he goes. No matter what the outward circumstances are or the inward emotions that are happening in our lives, we stay close and follow the Lamb wherever He goes. Well, let's finish up. It says, there, These were redeemed from among men, being the first fruits to God and to the Lamb. Beautiful. They were purchased by Jesus from among humanity, and they are the first or the initial what? Produce of this season, the tribulation season. In other words, they got saved. Remember in the Old Testament, by the way? Old Testament, first fruits. You guys remember that whole deal? 
right? The worshiper would bring their first fruits to God and offer to the Lord. And it was in faith, wasn't it? It was saying, Lord, I'm going to bring you my best and I'm going to trust you for the rest. That's, that rhymes, doesn't it? <laughs> I'm going to give you my best and trust you for the rest that you're going to provide. And that's what happens with the 144,000. They are the first fruits. They get saved, and there's going to be ma- there would be many more that would come after them during the tribulation. In chapter 7 of Revelation, when we were first introduced to these guys, we see right after that there's multitudes of people that get saved. And I would say they have an influence and an impact on the Jews as well. Is God through with the Jew? No, no way. No way, Jose. Romans chapter 11, I'm going to read it. I think these people were impacting influential, these 144,000. Romans chapter 11, Paul writes, For I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery. And how many people are? Lest you should be wise in your own opinion, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. What's Paul saying there? I don't want you to be ignorant concerning God's work with the nation of Israel. When they rejected Jesus Christ as Messiah, we learned, didn't we, in Daniel chapter 9, the prophetic clock has 483 years, and there's still seven more years left on the prophetic clock that will start when what happens? When we're told here, when the last Gentile gets saved, And by the way, if you're that Gentile, quit holding out this morning. (laughs) Time to go. (laughs) Let's get out of here, man. Once that Gentile goes, once that covenant is signed by the Antichrist with many of Israel, guess what? Daniel's 70th week, boom, begins again, begins. The prophetic clock starts happening. And what's going to happen? I love this. I think as a result of the 144,000, and so all Israel will be saved as it is written The deliverer, that's Jesus, will come out of Zion and he will turn away ungodliness from Jacob for this is my covenant with them when I take away their sin. So the 144,000 will have an impact on the Jews also at this time that end up getting saved. So verse five as we finish, and in their mouth was found no deceit for they are without fault before the throne of God. Isn't that beautiful? They were not phonies. They were not liars. Isn't that what deceit means? Being a phony, being disingenuine, lying. They were honest. They were real. In a time of darkness, deception, and lies, what are their lives marked by? Speaking the truth. Sharing the truth. And, And I love that. Their mouths completely given over to God's message. Their mouths completely given over to the Lord's use. Just thinking about that this week because it's like, how many many times do we waste words? You guys never, just pray for me then. (laughs) I was thinking about Jesus. Did Jesus ever waste words? I think, Lord, help, pray for me, like, Forgive me, Lord. How many unprofitable conversations, unprofitable things? It's like, Lord, God, help me. 
I don't want to be wait. I want to have a word fitly spoken, Lord, from your heart. And guess how that's going to happen if we're filled with the Holy Spirit? If our hearts, our lives are given over. Because Jesus said, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth what? The mouth speaks. We come to him to drink. And out of our hearts will flow rivers of what? Living water. And then they're, they're what? Where were they found before the throne? Without fault. Do you know that's going to happen with you too? Not like you two over here. Yeah, it'll happen with you two. <laughs> with us. With we. Ewans. Weans. Y'all. All y'all. Jude 24. Now to him, Jesus, who is able to keep you from stumbling. That's in this life. Jesus is able. You stick follow the lamb wherever he goes. Guess what? He'll keep us from stumbling. Now to him, it's a doxology. It's a, it's a praise that Jude ends his little epistle with. Now to him who is able to keep you, brother or sister, from stumbling and to do something else in the next life to present us how? Faultless. Isn't that good news this morning? Faultless where? Before the presence of his glory. How? With exceeding Joy. Is that beautiful, y'all? Yes. You know what that means? That means when you and I, we pass through the veil into eternity, what's Jesus going to do? Oh, man, this one made it. <laughs> how how, how Mike slipped through the cracks? <laughs> it says he's going to present you and I faultless. And it's going to make him really happy. In fact, it tells us in Hebrews 12 that he endured the cross, despising the shame for the joy that was set before him. He endured. All that he bled out for you and me. He endured. He didn't call angels to help. He didn't throw in the towel. He endured the cross despite all the shame heaped upon him. It says for the joy that was set before him. I think the joy of, of completing the Father's will, finishing the work, but also, like it says in Jude 24, the joy of presenting us faultless before the Father in Jesus' name. Lord, thank you so much. Look at what else can we say, Lord? Thank you, Lord. Would you